It's uh, my favorite weekend of the year, and uh, normally I would be hiding out in my basement, but uh, I had to stand up here in front of you, all you Americans, and relive the horror of what took place a couple of hundred years ago. But um, I will tell you that after living in America now for almost 30 years, I've heard just about everything. I, people will say to me, so uh, what do they do to celebrate the 4th in England? We, <laughs> not, not much. <laughs> Tends to just be Monday for us, like... You don't have fireworks? No, no, not something we really wants to set fireworks off. We lost, we lost. <laughs> Woo. Um, any meme, picture, image you can imagine, I've seen them all. Uh, now, challenge set, maybe you found one that you think I haven't yet seen, but I'll, I'll tell you a few of the ones I have seen. This is one of my favorites, because this one is one that kind of uh, represents my version of the story, and that's Her Majesty there. Happy Treason Day, you ungrateful colonials. I, uh, that's my screensaver for tomorrow. Um, there's another version of this where it's just the British flag. It says, Happy Treason Day, you ungrateful colonial. Somebody actually got me that once on a T-shirt. Love it. It's great. Uh, until someone else updated this, and they put, it's only treason if you lose. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Fair point. A uh, couple more here. What's this uh, next one? Have fun at work tomorrow, England. <laughs> it's true. In England, do you know what tomorrow is? It's just Monday. It's just a day to go to work. So... Um, I don't always drink tea, but when I do, it's not Britain's. Stay free, my friends. Uh, if you saw me coming this morning, I was drinking a little mug of tea. I hold on to it very tightly right now because I know one of you wants to just grab it and throw it in the harbor. But no, my tea is going to be very healthy, tightly held on to. And then this last one, someone sent me a t-shirt recently. Can I wear this, they said? Suck it, England. <laughs> Maybe not to church. I'd rather you don't wear it. Uh, I actually showed someone that picture before first service. I said, do you think I'm okay to, you know, put this up on the screen with that phrase? They're like, well, it's about England. So yeah, it's fine. So, oh, thank you. <laughs> Great. So I, I've come to accept that, you know, the, the jokes are out there. I still love living here. Um, but the great news is that this weekend, yet again, you get to celebrate your freedom from my tyrannical ancestors. Because on July the 4th, 1776, the final wording of the Declaration of Independence was agreed upon. And yes, woohoo! <laughs> Here's the thing, though. If we are followers of Jesus, it's not that document that should necessarily be the most important one in our lives. It's not even the Constitution. Ultimately, the words that should be of greatest importance to us as followers of Jesus, the, the words that should govern the way we live above anything else, are the words of Jesus himself, the words that we find as we read Scripture. That should kind of be our guiding light. So I thought what I'd do this morning is I would take a look at the idea of freedom through the lens of Scripture, what the Bible has to say about freedom, instead of just through the lens of the Declaration of Independence. And being an Englishman, I can't see there being any problems with my perspective on that, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But joking aside, um, it shouldn't really matter this morning whether I'm British or you're American or wherever you're from here this morning, because if we are followers of Jesus... There's a great verse that Paul wrote uh, that reminds us all in Philippians 3.20 that we are, first and foremost, citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So, let me promise you this. After I've spoken of what I've spoken about this morning, you will still be free tomorrow to set up fireworks. You'll still be free tomorrow to celebrate America's birthday. I will still be hiding in my basement at home wearing a red coat, just to, you know, <laughs> that's how I remember the holiday. 
But as we read through the scripture, we're gonna see there's a little different perspective as followers of Jesus when it comes to the subject of freedom. Now, we're gonna be looking at the words of a man named Paul this morning. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. And we learn about Paul for the very first time in the book of Acts. So Acts is um, the fifth book of the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they tell us the story of Jesus' life. And then along comes Acts, which is kind of a historical book that narrates and, and, and breaks down for us what happened after Jesus. You know, when the disciples um, started to build the church, you know, what, what actually took place. And the book of Acts tells us that whole narrative of what took place. And we're introduced in Acts to this guy by the name of Saul. And Saul was a mean guy. He was a horrible person. He was out persecuting the Christians, uh, trying to have them arrested and killed. And then Saul has this miraculous encounter with Jesus and turns his life around and becomes uh, this, this missionary to help build the church throughout the New Testament empire. And as he's out preaching and teaching, he's also writing these letters uh, to the brand new churches that he helped plant, to the leaders of these churches. And many of those letters make up the New Testament that we now read. And as you read through the book of Acts, you discover that on at least three separate occasions, probably more, Paul was put in prison for what he was doing for the preaching and teaching that he was doing, for the churches that he was planting. So some of these letters that we read that guide our lives as followers of Jesus, that talk about uh, how we should live and how we should uh, relate to Jesus, they were written from a prison cell. And the crazy thing is, we're gonna read about the subject of freedom this morning from a man that wrote some of these things in a place where he wasn't free, he was imprisoned. But he brings across the fact that freedom is far more about whether you're in prison or out of prison. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's who we are in Jesus, the freedom that we now have. So one of the great places that we can look at this subject of freedom is in one of the letters that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Galatia. Uh, the letter in the New Testament is called Galatians. And uh, the reason it's great is because they're dealing with this whole idea of what it means to be free. So before I, I read the, the passage I want to read from Galatians, let me give you just like a little background as to why Paul's even writing this letter in the first place. So there's this city called Galatia, and a lot of people are making decisions to follow Jesus. This is after Jesus has um, lived, died, risen again, and now this new church is forming. And in this new church, there's, there's two big groups of people. There are some, some, some people that were Jewish, but now believed that Jesus was the Messiah and have made a decision to follow him. So you've got these Jewish converts, but then you've also got Gentiles. They didn't grow up Jewish. They would have been from other areas. They too have made a decision to follow Jesus. So in this church, you've got these Jewish converts and these Gentile converts, and they're all together, but they're actually quite divided over what it means to be a Christian. Because the Jewish converts, they're bringing a lot of their Jewish um, history and religion with them. And the, the Gentile converts, they don't have that. So they're not bringing that. And there's this division within the church because a lot of the Jewish converts are saying, well, hey, if you really want to be a Christian, you also need to obey all these rules that we as Jews have been following for a long time. And they're going backwards and forwards over who's right. And that's why Paul wrote this letter. He's trying to explain to them that, that Jesus has come to set people free from the Old Testament law of Moses. 
He says the law of Moses and, and all the rules that were written by him, that God gave to him uh, to give to the people to follow, they were helpful in being a, a moral compass for the, the people of Israel to live by, but they were never God's permanent solution. Because God knew there was no way that the people of Israel were going to be able to follow these rules to the letter. So God knew that eventually he would have to send Jesus, and he did. And what happened is when Jesus came, he did fulfill the law. He did follow all the rules. He got everything right. He lived a perfect life. And then he died. He died in our place so that we, through a relationship with Jesus, can be made right with God. So Paul is trying to explain this to these Galatians. And we, we pick this up in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ, this is Paul speaking to this church, Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law, to the old rules and regulations. This is Paul's very own declaration of independence. He's saying, we're free, and you're trying to go back to the way it was. You see, these Jewish converts, they were trying to get the non-Jewish converts to, to follow the old rules and regulations. And, and, and these were things like, you know, what you could eat and couldn't eat. So Jews had come from a background where they had very strict laws with regards to what they could and couldn't eat. And these new Gentile converts, they didn't have that same upbringing, so they were free to eat anything. And these Jewish Christians were saying, no, if you're a follower of Jesus now, you'd also need to follow these, these eating rules. And Paul's saying, no, no, you don't. And the truth is, if it had just been what they could or couldn't eat, it probably wouldn't have been such a big deal. But there were some other things as well. The, the Jewish converts were telling the, the Gentile converts, well, now you're a, a follower of Jesus, you adult men, you need to get circumcised. These were adult men who weren't circumcised. This was 2,000 years ago, way before anesthesia. So some of the guys in the room right now are realizing how problematic this was to some of these, well, yeah, I love Jesus, but that whole thing, you're telling me I've got to go, that's kind of, and Paul's like, no. Jesus came to set us free from some of those things. And man, there are some guys who are reading this letter and they're like, yeah. I mean, they're setting off fireworks because this truly is a celebration for them. Now, don't get me wrong, don't misunderstand me. Paul wasn't saying Everything that we used to, you could throw that all out the reason. You're, you're free to do whatever you want. No, 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 no. There were still rules laid out in the law that, that, that guided them, this, this moral compass, the Ten Commandments, for example. Jesus never said that the Ten Commandments were no longer relevant. No, in fact, actually, Jesus made it even harder. So up till the time of Jesus, people were following the Ten Commandments and other rules and regulations, and the Ten Commandments were things like do not murder, do not steal, and, you know, people were living their lives thinking, well, it's, it's, you know, I've been around 30 years now, I've not killed anyone yet, so I'm doing all right on that one. Jesus comes along, and in this crazy sermon one day to a group of people, we call it the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, he says, you're familiar with the commands to the ancients, the commandments, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister, is guilty of murder. People are like, seriously? I've gone all this time, I've not killed anyone. I thought I was, that was a check mark by that one. And you're telling me that because I went to bed last night, really mad at my neighbor because his dog was barking all night and I was like laying there in bed thinking of all the things I'm gonna tell them all and how angry I am and everything, that I've committed murder? 
So what Jesus says is he doesn't say these rules no longer apply to them. He says, in actual fact, I'm going to make them even harder to follow. Even if you think that, even if this is the standard by which you should now live your life, that you should work towards. These are the rules you should now try and follow. But I get it. I get it. There was no way you could follow them before. There's even more, there's going to be no way that you could follow them now that I've made them even more specific. So knowing that you can never reach perfection, I will give my life so that through a relationship with me, you can be perfect in the eyes of God. Because God doesn't look at you and and judge you by the things you've done, the right things, the wrong things. He sees what Jesus did on your behalf. However, out of a spirit of gratitude, you're like, Jesus, I want to live the right way. I want to follow these rules. I want to do the best that I can. And I heard a person give an illustration once, an analogy that I think is the best analogy of what we now have as followers of Jesus, the freedom that we have because of Jesus. This person said that, you remember back in the olden times, you know, before we had technology and, um, you know, systems to measure and navigate with that kind of thing, when sailors would go from one place to another, when they would cross the ocean and they lost sight of lands, they had nothing to be able to guide or navigate by. All they had was the stars. So at nighttime, the sailors would look up and they they would be aware of the constellations and they'd know that that particular star there is the North Star. And as long as we head, if we need to get north, as long as we keep heading towards that star, we will get to where we need to go. Now, there was never a single sailor that had any expectation of getting to the North Star. They weren't disappointed when one day they discovered they hadn't arrived at that star. It was simply their navigation point. And this person, he saw this analogy, he says, you know, as followers of Jesus, we'll never get to the North Star. But we don't have to because Jesus did that for us. So now we navigate towards it. We we strive to live our lives and, and we use this as our moral compass with the freedom of knowing that because of Jesus, even though we'll never reach it, we can have a relationship with God. That's the kind of freedom that Paul is talking about when he writes to the Galatians. He's saying, listen, you're trying to go back to the way it was when it was rules and regulations and and meeting a certain requirement. Jesus came to change all of that. Stop trying to go back. You're free now. You're free to live your lives and to follow him. But then... As you look across the teachings of Paul throughout the New Testament, we discover that he also acknowledges that that now that we are free, there is something so crucial to the mission of Jesus that it's actually worth giving up certain freedoms for. Paul said, yes, I'm the first to, to explain the freedom that we have in Jesus, but there's actually something that I'm even willing, a freedom to lay aside for this purpose. And he talks about it in another letter to another church in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Paul says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Paul says, this is what it's about. My mission, my vision, my reason for being, my reason for planting these churches, for traveling all across, the reason I get locked up in prison all the time is because I just want to bring many to Christ. 
I want people to know the same Jesus who found me and turned my life around. And even if that means I have to become a slave to all people, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to give up certain freedoms and rights if it means that I can win somebody to Jesus. And he then kind of unpacks it a bit more and explains what he means by this. In the next verse, verse 20, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. I do not ignore the law of God, but I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save someone. I love that that's in Paul's heart. He says, I try to find common ground. I try to meet people wherever they're at. If it means that I can see them saved through Jesus, I do everything to spread the good news and share its blessings. Basically, Paul's saying here, even though there are some things that I am free to do and not do, I'm willing to lay those freedoms aside so I can better connect with the Jews or with the Gentiles or even those who are weak, if it means that I can win them to Christ. I love that. I love that. I'm so glad that that's Paul's passion, and I'll tell you why. Because when I was 18 years old, a guy by the name of Simon Crook, who was a follower of Jesus and a friend of mine, started to tell me about the difference that Jesus had made in his life. He started telling me about the transformation that took place. I wasn't a follower of Jesus at the time. I was far from being a follower of Jesus. But the more we met and the more we talked, the more intrigued I was about this change in his life. I knew that in my life at that time, there was just something missing. There was an emptiness, and I was trying to fill it with everything I could, but I still felt like there was, there was something lacking within me. And what was incredible is I can remember these conversations I would have with Simon that really kind of got inside my head. And then when I wasn't with Simon, I believe it was the Holy Spirit, God through the Holy Spirit, I would be thinking about these things, and these, these, it just never seems to leave me. Jesus talks about the, a parable of the lost sheep where he doesn't just stick with the 99. He'll go and look for the one because he wants all to be found. And I felt like that one. I felt like Jesus just wasn't leaving me alone. He was just searching and searching. Finally, after weeks, maybe months of these conversations between Simon and I, I, I made a decision to pray and ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And it changed my life. I can remember what my life was like before that. And I know what my life has been like since that. And I'm so glad that Simon, as a follower of Jesus, was passionate, like Paul, about reaching others who didn't know him. I have that passion now. As the pastor of Connect Church, that's one of my driving passions is, is to be somebody who reaches people that don't know him. So when I read this passage of Paul where he talks about being uh, like the Jews to reach the Jews, like the Gentiles to reach the Gentiles, I think, Dave, how, how can I do that in my life? And I, I had this idea. Maybe this is appropriate for me. 
If I had someone, they were a friend of mine and, and they didn't yet know Jesus, and I said, man, I'd love to tell you my, my story about what Jesus has done in my life. And they were like, you know, I'd love to hear it, but I'm actually going away this weekend. I'm gonna be gone all weekend at this country music festival. Um, if you wanna come with me, I'm happy. I'm happy to let you tell me all about it, but you'll have to come with me to this country music festival. Do you know what? I would put on my cowboy hat, my boots, the biggest belt buckle I could find. I would go to a country. And, and if you know me, you know what a huge sacrifice that would be for me to make. But if by all means, I could share Jesus with someone. And that's kind of what Paul's saying. It's not exactly like that. What Paul is actually saying when he says, I wanna relate to these people, is he's saying, Rather than try and convince the Jews that they are wrong in following some of their customs, I'll respect their customs when I'm with them in order to bring them to Christ. Because that's more important. It's more important to bring them to Christ than to try and argue with them over this particular custom. When I'm with the Gentiles, I'll respect their views if it means I can bring them to a relationship with Christ. I'm willing to give up some of my freedoms, my rights, if it means I can connect with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. And I love his philosophy there. He says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. But it doesn't mean that he gives up what he believes. He still holds firm to what he believes. I do not ignore the law of God. So he's saying, yes, I'm willing to, to do whatever it takes to reach someone, but I'm not gonna compromise or change what I believe. I don't ignore the law of God, but what I do instead is I obey the law of Christ. That's what drives me when I'm with these other people, obeying the law of Christ. He says that when it comes to reaching people, there is a greater law in play, and he introduces us to this phrase, the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? Well, let's jump back to Galatians. He brings it up here in Corinthians, but we're gonna jump back to Galatians now. That was the first passage we started to look at where he's talking all about the freedoms. And in Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 14, he says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Paul's talking about freedom here. He's saying, here's how you can use your freedom to serve one another, to love one another. He says, for the whole law, the law of Christ, is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. The law of Christ, love one another as I have loved you. What Jesus is saying is, is in the way that I've loved you, in the same way that I've loved you, in the way that I've given up my life for you, that is how you should love one another. In the way that I served uh, you by giving up my life, that's how you should love one another. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love one another. Love God and love others. Paul's saying that's the law of Christ. It doesn't replace the old law. In actual fact, it kind of just values the old law because it sums it all up in two very simple sentences. Love God and love others. Because if you love others, you won't want to murder them. You won't want to be angry with them. You'll want to forgive them. So all of those other individuals are wrapped up in this idea of loving God and loving others. 
And he goes on to describe to the Galatian church what happens when they don't obey that law. Verse 15, if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. He said, if you don't love one another, you know what's gonna happen? You're just gonna end up biting and devouring one another, destroying each other. He's not writing to a group of Jesus followers warning them on how they should treat people outside of the church. This is going on within the church. The Jewish converts, the general converts, they're biting and devouring one another. They're destroying one another. Paul says, you're missing it completely. The law of Christ is above all of these petty differences you have with one another. One another. The law of Christ says we love, we honor, we respect one another. So the last couple of weeks, we've found ourselves yet again as a nation with another polarizing topic that has found its way to the, um, the forefront. And sadly, as our nation seems to become more divided over different issues, this is just another opportunity for, for division. I'm talking, of course, about the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, sending it back to the state levels and just the whole topic of abortion. I think yet again, like some other divisive opportunities, this is an opportunity for the law of Christ to, to shine from within in us. But sadly, some of us still find ourselves biting and devouring one another, trying to destroy one another. I've been thinking about this a lot, praying about this a lot the last couple of weeks, and a, a friend of mine actually came into church this week, and she was here to visit someone else, but we got chatting, and she said, it's just so sad, she says. You know, I, it's hard for me, she said, because I look at some of my friends or social people, people I love dearly, and, and I see them going at each other and just saying hateful, horrible things to each other and arguing back and forth. And, and some of the people I see arguing with each other are friends of mine from, from the church, you know, Christians, people who love Jesus, and they're arguing with each other. It just breaks my heart. And she said to me, Dave, you need to preach that one message again about loving one another in the midst of division. And she's right. <laughs> I think it's a good message to remind ourselves of on a regular basis. How are we, as followers of Jesus, to respond in these difficult times? Because I think, sadly, thanks to a 24-hour news cycle, social media, we are bombarded with all of this divisive, polarizing content. A friend of mine, Michael Richardson, he's the pastor of Riverside Community Church in Peoria. He's a great guy, good friend of mine. And um, I, was, uh, I, I saw the post he put on Facebook uh, a week or so ago, and I thought it kind of summed up things pretty well. Um, following the ruling, he posted this verse, and it was a picture of the, the Bible verse he'd read that morning with his comment underneath. And uh, the Bible verse was found in Proverbs 18, verse 2. It said, fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions. <laughs> Fools find no pleasure, this is from Proverbs, in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. And I thought, man, I, we should all like somehow stick that to our phones or our laptops or wherever it is that we're on social media because very often we find, we're not led to understand, we just want to air our own opinions. And this is what he said, this was his comment underneath. The year-long Bible reading plan coming in clutch today which I don't know what that means, but apparently that's how young people talk. He's cool. So the year-long Bible reading plan coming in clutch today. Lots of fools on Facebook these days. If you're offended by this, you're probably one of them. Think before you speak. Ask yourself, am I adding value or just adding to the noise? Friends, not everything that pops into your head needs to be shared online. Perhaps you just need a journal or a friend or a therapist. 
Today, let's start leading with compassion rather than condemnation. Simply put, let's try to act like Jesus. He's talking about the law of Christ that should drive us beyond everything else. That that spirit of love should be driving us over and above everything else. And I've shared this before, I'll share it again. This, this is my own personal problem I have with social media over some of these, um, these big conversations that people are trying to have. Now, I get it. I know that for some of you, it's a great platform because you're able to kind of share the things that you're really passionate about. But, but here's where it gets difficult. I have a friend back in England. His name's Dave. Uh, Dave's brilliant. Dave was here today. You'd love Dave. He's just the greatest guy. I've known him since I was in my late teens, early 20s. He was one of the first friends I had after I became a Christian. And Dave's brilliant. But Dave's not on social media much. He has a Facebook account, but he doesn't get on there much. So every now and again, I'll post something and Dave will comment. Now, I was going back through some of my posts to try and find one of Dave's comments. I couldn't find a specific one, so I'm going to give you a theoretical example of something Dave might post. But this is the kind of guy that Dave is, okay? So, for example, I might put a picture on Facebook of me and Casey. We're on vacation. We're out on a date night or something. It's just a lovely picture of us at the restaurant, you know, and, and everyone's liking it and loving it, and they're leaving lovely comments like, oh, you guys are awesome. What a lovely picture. What a great, you know, and it's, it's, of course, it's Facebook world. We didn't talk about the argument we just had. It's just the picture there on the, at the restaurant. On, you know, so, but people are saying really lovely things. And then Dave, Dave would post something like, flipping egg, that is such a beautiful lady, end up with a doofus like you. <laughs> now, he's got a point. It's a question I ask myself on a regular basis. But if you knew Dave and his sarcastic humor, you'd know he's just kidding. But when I see him post something like that, I find myself wanting to get on there quickly to respond to his comment, just to make sure that people understand that I know he's kidding. I want to get on there before someone responds and says, how dare you, Dave's a lovely person. He's not a doofus at all. <laughs> or worse still, someone gets on there, I know, he's an idiot, isn't he? <laughs> and no, he was kidding, you weren't? <laughs> so I want to get on there and just you know, acknowledge, because when Dave posts something, I'm afraid of what other people might think. And where I get sad sometimes when I see this happen on Facebook is when somebody posts something, it's something they're passionate about, something they believe, and then one of their friends jumps on there and, and they don't believe the same thing. So they respond and it could be a kind response, it could be a negative one, whatever it may be, but it's clear that they obviously don't think the same way. They, they challenge that view. Well then, someone else, another friend of the original poster, they get on and they challenge this poster like, I can't believe you'd think that. And ooh, well, you sh I can't believe that you would think that I would think that. And suddenly, you know, you're like 12, 15 comments in of these two people who've never met each other in real life, have no idea who they are. But suddenly, uh, this whole debate is, is, is um, playing out on somebody's Facebook wall. And the only thing they have in common is they both happen to be friends with the one person. I mean, it could be someone you went to college with 30 years ago, but you just happen to still be friends with them. And now they're arguing with your neighbor. And it's like, how is this happening? It's clear when I see that, that like the problem, like, sorry, like the problem, like the proverb, they're not trying to understand one another. They're merely airing their own opinions, biting and devouring each other, as Paul would say. So what I wanna do this morning is just take a couple of minutes and just address the whole um, discussion of abortion, how we should respond in light of what we learned this morning from what Paul's taught. But before I do, I just want to acknowledge something. And I've been thinking about this a lot this week and the last couple of weeks, praying about it, just trying to ask God, you know, how, should I say anything? If I say something, what should I say? Where should I? 
And I, it's been hard because I've not really been sure. I'm going with where I believe God's led me this morning. But the one thing I have known for sure since the beginning is, is one thing I've definitely decided. I want to say this for sure. I am aware that there is a strong chance that someone here in this room, someone watching online, this isn't just a theoret theoretical discussion. It could be that somebody here this morning, somebody watching, this is something they've had to deal with in their own lives. And it may well be that whatever reason that happened, when it happens, there's some regret and some shame or some pain as they look back on that period of their life. And as this conversation continues on, it brings back a lot of those, those, those negative emotions. It brings back a lot of that pain and hurt. And I want to apologize to you this morning and just say God loves you so much. And I, I apologize if, if even, even if somebody, somebody said as a Christian, because they passionately believe something, brought up pain. I just don't think that's the way Jesus would want us to respond. I don't think that's the love of Christ, the law of Christ at work. But as I said at the beginning, as followers of Jesus, you know, this, this is where we're, we're coming from. We strive to, to live our lives in accordance with what the Bible teaches. So followers of Jesus, they would look at the verses, for example, that you'd find in Psalms 139 that say in verse 13 through 14, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. There are other passages like that, that, that for a follower of Jesus, that would drive them to really uh, understand and believe in uh, the fact that life is precious. Now, I also completely understand how terrifying it can be for many women to see this choice taken away from them. I know there are all sorts of complicated scenarios that, that muddy the waters and make this far less than a black and white decision. So I have, I, I, in my own personal journey, not even as a pastor, there are two friends, there's actually more than two friends, but two examples I thought of this week that, that Casey and I, friends of ours who have been on a journey where they, they've found out that they're pregnant and what should be like the most wonderful time in a, in a family's life when they find out they're having a baby and they're planning and they're imagining how amazing this will be and um, a sister coming or a brother or a first child, whatever it may be, and, and then going to a doctor's appointment and getting just really tragic news about um, that pregnancy. So for these two stories, for Casey now that we've walked through with these two ladies in particular, these two women both had um, different things happen, so, but both of them had a diagnosis when they went for their visit that the baby that they were carrying was, um, had some kind of disease, was incompatible with life. That when that baby was born, that it wouldn't survive. Just the worst thing imaginable, the worst day imaginable for any mum excited to be having a baby. So in these particular stories, in, in our life, one chose to go full term. Her son was born, and he lived 10 days before passing away. And we loved that family, and we supported them. And we went together and attended what was one of the most emotional, heartbreaking funeral services I've ever been to. The other lady, she made the decision to terminate the pregnancy. And we loved that family and we supported them, and we attended what was a very emotional and heartbreaking funeral service. Both these ladies were followers of Jesus. Both made incredibly difficult decisions that came after a lot of prayer and a lot of heartache. And sadly, the second lady received several um, somewhat hurtful messages from other Christians over the decision she had made. And I know 
that not everyone will believe the same as I do on this subject, and I'm okay with that. I've had some great conversations with, with different people over this last week or two, some of who were on the same page as me, others who weren't, some who were followers of Jesus and still thought differently than I did, and others who weren't followers of Jesus. We had these conversations in person, not on social media. And in this conversation, there was an opportunity for me and for them to listen and to understand one another. And even when I didn't agree, I made the choice to follow the law of Christ, to love one another, or to put it another way, to honor one another, to honor one another the way God, through Christ, honored us. Because for me personally, with this and every other subject that divides us, I think we need to make a choice. That choice is that I'm gonna treat you with honor because if my heavenly father decided to send his one and only son to die for you, even though you think completely different than me, I'm gonna treat you with the same honor and love and respect that he does. And like I said, I've been wrestling a lot with this, praying a lot about this over the last week or two, you know, how to address this, should I address this, if I do, what do I say? And more importantly, I think what I've wrestled with is how as a church should we respond? What's the, the statement? What's, what do we want to do as a church? Well, here at Connect, um, if you've been coming a while, you'll know that our, our philosophy, our vision, our mission is to impact the community in which we find ourselves. We wanna be known here in, in our community, in the surrounding areas as a church that is for the community. We love people. We wanna be looking outwards, not inwards. We want people to come and we wanna welcome you wherever, whatever your background or beliefs, we want to welcome you here as a Connect Church. We'd love to have you here. We'd love to tell you about Jesus. And I want us to find a way to address this subject in a positive way, to do something to show that we don't just wanna be known for what we believe or what we're against, but for what we're doing to help others. What are we doing at Connect Church to help others? And in this instance, especially a lady who might find herself in the place of an unexpected pregnancy. So this week, in preparation for my message, I called a lady here in Peoria. Her name's Christine Dennis. She's the director of the Women's Care Center in Peoria. I called her for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to learn more about this subject because I'm a man. I, I, what do I know? I wanted to speak to not just a lady, but someone who is in this, this realm. And I wanted to ask her questions, but I wanted to learn more about her organization. I spoke to her for about 45 minutes and was fascinated and really encouraged to hear what their organization does here in Peoria. She explained to me that they are a non-political, non-issue-based organization that exists to love and serve mums and babies. I loved that vision, that they are a non-political, non-issue-based organization that exists to love and serve mums and babies. She said, the way that works is we offer practical resources for pregnant women, medical grade pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, counseling, parenting classes, birth prep classes. She said, when we meet with these ladies who are coming very often at a time of crisis in their lives, we discuss all options. We talk about parenting, we talk about adoption, we even talk about abortion. But she said, the only thing we won't do is refer or advocate for abortion, but we'll answer questions, we'll, we'll, we'll tell people about it. She said, if one of their clients chooses to go that route and after meeting with them still decides that she wants to terminate the pregnancy, she said, we'll offer no guilt or condemnation. We even offer counseling for people, women and men, that have made that choice 
and then later have come to regret that decision. We offer free counseling. People can come back to us. There'll be no judgment. No, we, we want to be able to offer counseling, even to people who have made that choice. She told me that unlike some other similar organizations, there's no proselytizing or using the Bible to explain their views on pregnancy or abortion. They simply show the love of Christ in the way that they respect and love these women, many of whom find themselves faced with a difficult decision of an unplanned pregnancy. And she told me this, oftentimes the reason they're there is because a parent or a boyfriend or a husband is pressuring them to terminate the pregnancy. She actually told me that one of the young ladies she's got to speak to personally said, you were there for me because my mum wasn't. I loved their philosophy of wanting to be pro-life by finding a very real and practical way of being there for women who are unsure of what direction to go and helping women with resources to make their own decision, their own choice. It actually reminded me of a quote I came across this week from a lady. She pastors a church in the north of England and um, just on this subject, she said, is it okay to say that I'm not keen on the political language of pro-choice, pro-life, that I want to find a way to be rich in compassion and conviction, to express myself as pro-flourishing, pro-women, pro-family, pro-universal health and childcare, pro-fetus, pro-both. I loved learning more about this whole topic from Christine, and more so, I loved learning about their organization, so much so that I decided, you know what, what we could do as a church to be a positive voice in this discussion, to be making a difference, to be helping, rather than just saying, this is what we, let's, what can we actually do to help? I spoke to our leaders, and we decided we're gonna make a donation to the Women's Care Center on behalf of Connect Church of $2,500. So we have money, yep, thank you. We, um, we have money that we have set aside to help um, organizations locally and globally, and we just felt like this would be a great way of us proactively helping women who are in this difficult place in their lives rather than just saying, well, this is what we believe. But let me wrap up with this thought. As we leave today, please, please, please remember, this was never meant to be a message based on the subject of abortion. There's something far greater at stake. And yet again, as another kind of divisive subject comes up, I, I want to just kind of focus this morning on this weekend that we celebrate freedom that we also want to remember as followers of Jesus the challenge of Paul. That even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. Our society and communities are so polarized. And if we come at this conversation or any conversation with a position of pride and certainty, we'll just polarize even further. So let's continue to let the law of Christ govern our conversations and our interactions, even with those who may think differently than we do. Can we pray? Father God, as you know, this is something that's weighed heavy on me in the last couple of weeks, and I've wrestled with uh, whether or not to address it, how to address it, and I just keep coming back to this, this idea that as the, the world, those outside of the walls of this church who don't yet know Jesus, are frustrated when they see the, the, the anger and the, 
the polarization, the division, and, and they're looking for an answer. They're looking for hope. And Jesus, I believe they can find that in the church. In the church, there truly can exist a place of unity, not uniformity. We can agree to disagree on many different subjects, but we can still commit to love one another because we are, we are following a higher law, the law of Christ. And our care and compassion, especially for those who don't know you, is so great that sometimes we're even willing to, to lay down our rights to say, I, I, I want to understand what you're thinking because I want to share with you the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And we may not agree on some things, but let me tell you that Jesus can still change your life the way he changed mine. So God, help us to continue to strive, to, to, to live and to experience your love in our lives so that we can, your love and grace, so that we can extend that love and grace to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.